Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, friends, and welcome to a very special edition of the Bill Press Pod. You know, two of the most interesting people in the country today are Jerry Brown, former four-term, 16-year governor of California, a good friend whom I had the honor of working with for four years, and Pete Buttigieg, mayor of South Bend, Indiana, who has surged to the top four of Democratic candidates running for president in 2020, one toward the end of his long career in public service, the other near the beginning. Well, I figured the two of them would have a lot to talk about, and so, with a few phone calls, the help of mutual friends, and a lot of luck, I was able to bring Jerry Brown and Pete Buttigieg together for you. And Jerry jumped right into foreign policy. Pete, really good to be with you. Same here. Nice to be connected again. Uh, I'd, I'd like to get your sense of where we are in Syria. I mean, millions of migrants have destabilized the politics in Europe, uh, particularly in Germany and Italy. So many people have been killed, uh, women, children, the, the gas attacks, all the rest of it. So uh, what are your thoughts on Syria? What is America's role? What should it have been? And where the heck do we go from here? Well, I think uh, America's priority has to be ensuring American safety. And uh, we have to accept the fact that there, there are problems that we can solve. And then there are problems that you'll just have to manage. And unfortunately, I think for the near term, a lot of the problems in the Middle East and in that region are in that, that second category, problems that we got to manage in a way that is responsible and that keeps America safe. Uh, but that does not mean we shoulder the burden of, uh, uh, of what the outcomes are going to be. I actually think that was the direction we were working in prior to the president's recent decision. In other words, we had a very, very small number of highly specialized uh, people on the ground who were really all that stood between that region and the beginnings of a potential genocide, as well as the reemergence of ISIS. Uh, those forces have now been unleashed because of the president's decision to effectively betray Kurdish fighters who had been very good allies to the United States. And I think the ramifications of that decision go far beyond Syria alone. They really go to American credibility on the world stage. Uh, the truth is sometimes part of how we stay out of a conflict, or at least stay out of having uh, large numbers of U.S. troops get entangled or involved somewhere is because of our alliances, because we're part of a bigger international community that can manage problems or deal with things. Uh, if we undercut alliances or really undercut our ability to even form alliances, which of course is what happens if we send the signal that uh, uh, that it's not a safe bet to count on America's word, well, the consequence of that is, is going to uh, be that the world will become an even more unstable and dangerous place. Well, now, if we have to manage, which we obviously do, these conflicts in the Middle East, uh, how about Turkey? Turkey isn't a lie. It's uh, part of NATO. Uh, we certainly have some issues with them. 
But uh, where do we go now? Well, it, it's tough when it comes to Syria because it seems the, the horse is out of the barn and, and uh, it's difficult even to gauge uh, what the state of play will be more than a year from now when the new president takes office. But uh, what I will say is that we know that, that many of the biggest consequences of President Trump uh, abandoning American values uh, has to do with the behavior, not of our adversaries, but our allies. We know that our strategic competitors, Russia, China, are going to act in problematic ways if we don't have a smart strategy. But one of the things we've seen is countries we think of as our allies, from Saudi Arabia uh, to Turkey, uh, also behave in ways that are destructive when we give the green light for that sort of thing, as we did with Saudi Arabia's uh, murder of a journalist after the fact. And as we did uh, with Turkey before the fact. Now, we should acknowledge that, that Turkey does have legitimate security interests on their border, that, that there is a, a ton of complexity to uh, what's going on in terms of their concerns about uh, the Kurdish fighters. Uh, but that's just the point is that we had a comparatively stable state of play. And now we've unleashed the kind of chaos that's associated with uh, potential ethnic cleansing and, and uh, ISIS fighters going free. Uh, we need to use, precisely because we are allies or, or uh, NATO and treaty, treaty allies, um, because of this, uh, we actually have more of an opportunity to influence what's going on for good uh, there than we would with a player like, for example, Iran, uh, which is, uh, is is an adversary that we have less and less leverage over, especially since pulling out of the Iran nuclear deal. Uh, so all of these add up to why you can't just have an impulsive, uh, reckless decision and, and expect it to be something you can get away with or expect its consequences to be confined to one region. And managing the alliance with Turkey is going to require a president who will uh, use the fact that, uh, that we are allies as a way to ensure that the worst uh, behaviors and impulses of our allies are held in check. Well, now, in Turkey, we know we've got 60 nuclear bombs there that are ready to be delivered, been there for decades as part of our strategy to defend against the Soviet Union. And uh, Turkey's not alone. I think there are nuclear weapons uh, of the United States in uh, Belgium, also the Netherlands. But that raises the point in managing this very complicated relationship with Turkey. Uh, what about the nukes? Do you think that extended deterrence reaches the point where maintaining uh, nuclear weapons in a country like Turkey makes sense? Or do we have to find a way to uh, pull back on our forward uh, positioning of nuclear weapons? Well, I think we need to continuously reevaluate our strategic posture and, and look at whether it's consistent with our interests, with uh, regional security, and with American values. Uh, what we know is that a, a precipitous decision has terrible knock-on consequences, but uh, we should make sure for the long run that we have a sustainable and affordable uh, policy when it comes to force projection, whether it's with uh, weaponry or with people. Well, now, you use the word precipitous. I would have to say that the withdrawal from the anti-ballistic missile treaty by President Bush, uh, that was precipitous. The withdrawal by Trump from the INF, the Intermediate uh, Nuclear Force Treaty, uh, that was precipitous. That Both those treaties were uh, negotiated by Republican presidents, one by Nixon, one by Reagan. And now uh, Trump is saying he's going to pull out of the Open Skies Treaty, which allows Americans and other nations and Russia to see what's going on in the air in a way that creates more transparency. And now we've got New START, uh, which is the last remaining major treaty between Russia and the United States. 
uh, there's a lot of talk that Trump wants to pull out of that. So uh, what do you think of all these treaties? They were uh, the, the essence of our nuclear security, uh, the architecture of engagement uh, with Russia, with the Soviet Union. So where are we now? Well, I'm from Indiana, which is the home state of Dick Luger, a uh, senator who was uh, together with Sam Nunn behind a, a number of the strategic uh, nuclear weapons reduction treaties that were really key to our engagement with Russia in the years immediately after the post-Cold War led to the uh, destruction of, of uh, many nuclear weapons and unquestionably made the world a safer place. Uh, we clearly see uh, movements in the wrong direction going on now. Uh, now, some of these things were uh, connected to legitimate concerns. You look at the INF treaty withdrawal. There's no question that there were uh, a lot of uh, issues with Russian compliance, but I think that the impulsiveness of this administration uh, led to this uh, assumption that uh, nothing is better than something, which just isn't true. The, the solution to the problems with Russian compliance in the Intermediate Nuclear Forces Treaty wasn't to blow it up altogether. The, the solution would be to uh, try to come out with a stronger agreement than we had. And uh, we need to move, excuse me, into the direction of greater, not uh, reduced uh, frameworks for uh, the, uh, the the process that, that that's going to lead to strategic reduction because it's in nobody's interest for us to have this level of buildup uh, continue yeah. indefinitely around the world. Yeah, we, we got these uh, weapons. I think the estimate is given that uh, the U.S. has approximately seven thousand nuclear warheads. We have almost the same number in reserve, but uh, thousands uh, at the ready uh, to be launched literally within hours if the, uh, the word comes from the president. On the other hand, the Russians have an equal number uh, ready to go. Uh, and we know from the past that there have been mistakes that Russians thought we'd launched uh, several hundred missiles toward them. And there was a mistake during the time when Bill Perry was Secretary of Defense under Bill Clinton, where he, they thought that the Russians uh, had launched. And it turned out in both cases a mistake. So there's a lot of talk on Capitol Hill with Trump and the interference with the election and lots of other uh, misdeeds on the part of uh, Mr. Putin. But the reality, the, the brute reality, is we have thousands of weapons that if by some blunder uh, something gets going, it could escalate and you could actually eliminate uh, human civilization. So uh, given all this uh, difficulty and tension, and in many ways name-calling with Russia, how do you see moving uh, in the direction where we return to uh, a point of nuclear stability, such that when there was Senator Luger, he certainly was a Republican championing that. Um, but we're far from that. People are treating uh, the existence of these nuclear weapons as though it's not real. That there isn't this danger of nuclear annihilation. And the most important thing are tweets from the president or calling uh, Putin names or focusing on uh, the latest guy that he's killed or something. But the big question is, how do we return to more nuclear safety and security? Well, I think uh, there are going to have to be incremental steps that, that probably start uh, very small just because the, the trust now is so low. Now, we've got to retain the ability to respond when Russia undertakes actions like what they did to interfere with our election. 
using diplomatic and economic and, and uh, informational and other tools. And we need to begin by ensuring that, that we're deterring the escalation of conventional conflicts, especially uh, when we're in a region or dealing with a player that also has nuclear capabilities. Uh, we've got to uh, make sure that as few conventional conflicts emerge as possible. And then when they do, uh, we've got to make sure that they can be managed uh, with the lowest possible likelihood of escalating into a nuclear confrontation. Uh, as long as uh, these levels of armament exist, uh, deterrence and de-escalation are going to be critical. Uh, and we need to have relationships and uh, communications channels uh, that uh, continue to minimize risk in a way that, uh, uh, unfortunately, the current chaos of the, the, the administration in, in particular and in the environment in general is making harder and harder to do. This special episode of the Bill Press Pod is brought to you by the International Association of Firefighters, those great men and women of our firefighting departments. We see them rushing by all the time on the way to help American families. That's who they are. They're on the front lines protecting American families every day. We count on them. They never let us down. Under the leadership of President Harold Schaitberger, we thank them for their support of the Bill Press Pod and uh, direct you to find out more about their great work at their website, IAFF.org. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. A few years ago, NATO stopped Germany and then the decision was made to proceed to include countries to the, to the east, Poland, uh, Czechoslovakia, and others. And then George Bush, he added uh, further. So now uh, Russia is pretty well surrounded and we're uh, obligated under Article 5 to defend Latvia and Lithuania and Estonia, uh, even to the point, I suppose, of a, of a new uh, war. And then there's talk about uh, Ukraine, also Georgia going into NATO. Have you given any thought to uh, how do we deal with, on the one hand, deterring Russia, but on the other hand, not so encircling them that we provoke the very thing uh, we fear? 
Well, I think there is a, certainly a perception on the side of the Russian regime that the United States is intent on regime change. And uh, any actions that we take that would seem to confirm or corroborate that perception are likely going to lead to even greater mistrust and potentially more actions that are destabilizing. Uh, so when you think about NATO, it's certainly the case that it's, it's an institution uh, that needs to evolve, as do a lot of our international institutions. Uh, the alliance has uh, had uh, uh, considerable value. I, I served under a NATO command when, when I was deployed in Afghanistan. But uh, we do need to assess uh, every time there is talk of accession uh, or uh, an issue around uh, one of the uh, treaty countries um, that we're not taking any step that could uh, simply lead to greater tension. And we need to make sure that uh, the regional security frameworks are strong enough that the individual states, especially on the periphery of Russia, uh, don't feel that their security depends on uh, either one way or the other, uh, aligning themselves in a way that could uh, be destabilizing. Talking about agreements, uh, we have the Paris Agreement, one of the real hopeful signs and major milestones. Have you thought about how do we go from here? Well, I think uh, the, the road ahead is, is um, uh, going to be challenging any way you cut it. And, uh, and yet, uh, you know, I think if, if we zoom out and, and look at the big picture, there's a big opportunity here. Look, uh, the U.S. has a credibility problem and uh, the world has a climate problem. And if the U.S. does what we do best, uh, which is to say lead on climate, uh, it's actually perhaps the best chance we have to uh, restore American credibility on the global stage. And if there was such a thing as climate diplomacy being very important globally, it's an example of one of the ways that we might be back on the front foot with respect to a player like China. So uh, not only do we need to uh, restore commitments like the, the Paris Accord, of course, which I consider to be really table stakes at this point, but we should recognize that uh Two things are true. One, the U.S. cannot solve climate alone because we represent less than 20% of the emissions. And secondly, uh, it's unlikely that the world can address climate change without us. Uh, that means that, that American leadership is going to be more important than ever. But for us to uh, show leadership on the world stage on this issue, which I really uh, view as a security issue, in order for us to lead on this issue, we got to be practicing what we pre preach here at home. And it's one of the reasons why a robust climate plan is, is so important. So let's get into that. The, uh, the notion by 2045, 2050 at the latest, uh, the world's going to get to a net zero emission. Uh, that's quite, quite ambitious, but they're saying that's what we need to do just to stay uh, even under two degrees, let alone 1.5 degrees centigrade. So what kind of a program, not just a, a resolution like the Green New Deal, but how in the world can we change our uh, infrastructure, electricity, building, appliances. Uh, there's an opportunity there, but boy, is there a huge challenge. It's really going to have to be a national mobilization. And uh, the good news is that America generally does better when we have a big national project. And this one, uh, unlike, say, the Cold War, doesn't involve fighting other people. Uh, the, the challenge, of course, is that it's going to require a lot more of us than we've put in to date. But uh, I believe with presidential leadership, we can rally the American people, recruit the American people to get this done. Um, my plan calls for us to double clean sources on our energy grid by 2025, and then start working toward making first light transportation and then heavy transportation carbon neutral as 2040 approaches so that we do reach that uh, goal of net zero by 2050. It means investing in renewable energy, energy storage, and carbon storage. 
uh, roughly quadrupling the current level of federal R&D so that we were over $20 billion a year. Uh, it's going to require a carbon tax, which I would structure as a tax and dividend uh, that is repaid back out to the American people on a progressive basis. So, that, Because the idea isn't to suck money out of the economy. The idea is just to make sure that our prices accurately reflect the impact of their uh, their carbon footprint. If we take these steps now, it's not too late. But I think in many ways, you know, the IPCC says we have until 2030 to act decisively. I think the real deadline is 2020, because if we don't have a political decision in 2020 that's going to lead to uh, the right kind of leadership in the White House, then uh, it, it, there's just no way we can get to the steps we will have to take by 2030 in order to be on the footing we need to be by 2050. Well, California has been a pretty good model here. It's probably the most aggressive uh, climate uh, state in terms of actions that it's taken. Half the electric cars in America are now sold in California. Uh, the vehicle standards are the toughest coming out of that state. We've got about 25% renewable electricity. We have building standards. We have appliance standards. But having said all that, uh, there's still a long, long way to go. California is by no means where it needs to be. But I can tell you, having presided over that uh, much of that for eight years, uh, tremendous political resistance. How, how do we change the car fleet, the embedded electricity? We've got 40% electricity is coming from coal. Uh, how do we move off that? Then building standards, appliances. We're talking not, you know, a few billions. This is this is major uh, transformation. And I wonder if you've thought of the political moves that you'd have to make to to even get this done. The biggest thing that I think has to happen politically is to make sure everybody understands what they have to gain by it. Uh, that's everything from uh, really. Uh, making sure people see how they can benefit from jobs that are going to be created. And sometimes we talk about green jobs, like they're these exotic newfangled things, but a lot of what needs to be done are jobs that already exist right now, insulators and glaziers and, and carpenters and electrical workers uh, all across the building trades, as well as in manufacturing. Uh, we estimate a net gain of 3 million jobs from the climate plan we're putting out. I also think it's very important that we engage rural America here. Uh, agriculture can be a big part of the solution. And if we get it right, then we have an opportunity to use uh, farms, use, use soil and cover crops for carbon capture. After all, the original carbon capture technology is, is uh, plants. And uh, if we get that right, I think about it in terms of politics, because I think it, it gives us the chance to allow people in more conservative areas who maybe feel like they've been sort of beaten over the head and told they're the problem, instead allows them to picture where they fit in the solution. And uh, I think it's, it's critically important that we move climate beyond being a partisan and political issue because it's just too important. And, uh, but that means we got to do a better job of recruiting and enlisting the contributions of, of people from every sector of society so that people stand up taller and, and so that the emotion you feel when, when, when you're thinking about climate is less one of guilt and more one of pride. When you talk about transforming the economy, uh, whether you call it green or renewable or sustainable, that brings up the idea of infrastructure. President Trump, uh, just a couple of years ago, uh, was calling for a trillion-dollar infrastructure program. Now, his was very much uh, bricks and mortar, roads and bridges, which has to be a, a part of it. But if we're going to change uh, the way we move around in cars and trucks and trains and how we generate electricity and how our buildings function and uh, how our appliances uh, 
also function. Uh, that's a huge infrastructure program. But getting the, th- the trillion, he never could face the, the, the music here and say, okay, how are we going to pay for it? And while he had a lot of uh, carpenters and uh, operating engineers and those kind of people wanting to get on board, uh, not much appetite on the Republicans, particularly in the Senate. Transforming is going to be a big, big project that can put people in the country and the farming areas as well in the cities. It could be a big source of jobs. It would be, but it's going to take some money, and that's going to take uh, some Republicans as well as Democrats. Well, needless to say, I think we need a better Senate. And part of uh, my objective as a candidate for president is to be the kind of candidate from the middle of the country with coattails who can help us make sure we've got uh, better legislators in D.C. I think we've also got to make clear what the benefits are uh, and make it clear to constituents uh, to the point that their legislators in Washington have to start following them. One of the things I've noticed as a mayor is that at a local level, uh, even very conservative areas will often vote for a levy or a tax if it means if they know exactly what it's going to go for and it's better roads or, or, or a new school or uh, something whose benefit is, is clear. And we need to make sure that we're doing that at the national level, too. I remember when President Trump came in thinking maybe he really will do infrastructure. Maybe that's the one promise he'll keep because I, I figured it would be good, uh, good politics for him and get some bipartisan support. But as, as you point out, when it came time to pay for it, uh, basically, all, all they had to offer when it came time to pay for it was that we'd uh, pay for it locally, which is what we've been doing all along. Uh, we need to make sure there's an actual mobilization of federal resources to do things that the American people are very, very eager to see done. And that will require rolling back uh, some of the Trump tax cuts, especially on corporations and closing corporate loopholes and uh, and uh, asking the wealthiest among us to pay their fair share. Uh, but then the American people support that. We just got to make sure that there's a political cost if uh, members of the House and Senate continue to ignore the American people on an issue that important. Well, in California, the Republicans put a bill uh, to repeal our gas tax. We uh, put on a bill, uh, 12 cents uh, gas tax. And so they uh, put that as a referendum uh, to put before the people. Do you want it or not? And it turned out the people overwhelmingly, by over 10 points, voted for it. And the the campaign did not talk about tax, even though it was a tax. They talked about the projects in the areas, whether it be San Diego or Los Angeles, San Francisco Bay Area, what you would lose and what you get. Now, if you're talking about uh, a whole transformation based on sustainability and renewable energy, that could create a lot of benefit, very visible, very local, and you might be able to get a funding mechanism from a broad-based tax. I mean, without that, we can't reach the magnitude of effort needed. So do you think there's enough will or could you generate that as president? Well, I think that's part of what uh, presidential leadership is for, is to get the American people excited and energized for an investment that's worth doing. Uh, as you point out from, from that experience in, in, in state, when people see what they have to gain, they will uh, very often support investing in it. And we have some big investments that we got to make as a country. We've been deferring those investments for too long at a, at a very great cost. And we've seen what uh, what the consequences of that are. Uh, this is our chance to get things right and to invest in the kinds of infrastructure and, and in the kind of future 
that we're going to need if we want to be competitive, if we want to compete with China, if we want to uh, create a good future for uh, coming generations, certainly if we want to get ahead of this climate issue, then we have got to be willing to make the investments that are needed. I think Americans want it. We just got to have a president who insists on delivering. Now, if one could link, if you could link the, uh, the need to transform the infrastructure, uh, the way uh, America works, factories, transportation, uh, housing, uh, electricity, and power. If you can link that with dealing with the other, uh, other big, big problem, and that is there's so many Americans that are struggling, that can't afford uh, decent housing, that are really sinking, and uh, whether you call them low income or forgotten Americans, uh, a lot of people who didn't go to college who uh, you might even call them swing voters in some states like Ohio and Pennsylvania, they're not doing that well. Even in California, uh, we have a high number of people that by some measures uh, are put in, uh, in a poverty category. So uh, that is a big elephant in the room. What can you do uh, to lift up uh, that, that big segment of America? At least it could be a fifth or more of people that really are not enjoying the American dream. It's also the whole issue of inequality, but uh, it's also just lifting up, uh, seeing those boats at the bottom rise. Well, the, one of the fundamental problems of our time is that the economy is growing, and yet that rising tide does not lift all boats, doesn't even lift up most of them in many ways. And uh, sometimes uh, I think the conversation has made things uh, too complicated. The biggest problem is people aren't getting paid enough. And uh, that's especially true of people who are working in some of the fastest growing jobs in the country, who are often disproportionately women and, and workers of color too. Uh, but uh, in every part of the country, we're seeing the consequences of our economy developing to where uh, uh, the costs are going up faster than people's income. The cost of education, saving for retirement, housing, health are shooting up. And, uh, you know, if you start the clock the day I was born, uh, for something like half of Americans, uh, income has barely budged at all in that entire period, despite the tremendous growth that's happened nationally. And that's not the result of some mysterious, unstoppable cosmic force. It's the result of specific policy and political decisions that were made in Washington, D.C., with different and better decisions. We can have a different and better trend in this country, one toward uh, equality, one toward low-income people having a shot at, at becoming middle or high-income people. And if we lose that American dream, which is very much on the decline in this country, uh, there's not going to be much left. Mayor Pete, thanks so much. We'll let you get back to campaigning. Sure thing. It's an honor to be uh, with both of you. I appreciate the opportunity. Great. I really enjoyed it, and good luck. Same here. Thanks very much. So, so Jerry, I got to ask you, uh, you were asking um, about the climate change. I mean, as governor of California, you spent a lot of time on climate change. What role do you see that the president of the United States and the governors have in making that happen? Well, the big role uh, immediately is to put more money into investment, uh, uh, battery technology, uh, all the other things. It could be even advanced computing, but uh, the electricity, how it's, how it's generated, how it's stored, uh, the cars that depend on, on batteries, uh, the, uh, the, the uh, factories, how they run, cement industry, how it operates. There, there's lots of need for uh, basic research and also more practical uh, downstream research that can help 
uh, industry transform itself. So that's real money. We're not talking uh, billions here. We're talking tens of billions and trillions over time. That's the big part. Then secondly, you got to have the rules. you got to have the EPA, all the 50 different environmental rules that Trump has, has uh, repealed or attempted to repeal. You've got to put those back back on the books, uh, reinvigorate them, leave all the uh, efforts of Trump, um, uh, you know, get rid of that, and uh, get back to, and go beyond. Because you have to set intelligent uh, ground rules for how the economy works that will get us off fossil fuels, uh, reduce and ultimately get to a net zero emission of carbon. And that is quintessentially uh, the president and the Congress. Of course, the president can't do it alone, uh, Trump's done a lot of destructive things by executive order. Uh, going forward and meeting the challenge of the Paris Agreement is going to take Congress. And to get Congress going, you've got to mobilize the whole country. So I think the steps are relatively clear. Uh, the politics is formidable. And that's a wrap for this special episode of the Bill Press Pod, an in-depth conversation between Governor Jerry Brown and Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Thanks again to Governor Brown and Pete Buttigieg. And thanks to all of you for listening. And now we offer you our own quid pro quo. The quid, we bring you two great podcasts from the Bill Press Pod every week. And the quo, you simply sign up for the Bill Press Pod by going to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or TuneIn. Search for the Bill Press Pod and subscribe. It's that simple and it's free. And even better, while you're there, give us a big five-star review. Nothing's more important in helping us grow the Bill Press Pod. Again, thanks to the governor and to Mayor Pete. Thanks to all of you for listening. Also, don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at Bill Press Pod, so you'll get an alert when each new podcast is posted. Meanwhile, stay strong, and we'll see you on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. <laughs>